In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being here in our presence this morning. We thank you for wanting to be here. We thank you for wanting to love us. We thank you for wanting to unite us with yourself and through yourself and the Holy Spirit to the Father. Heavenly Father, we are your sons and daughters. We thank you and we praise you for the gift of your Son and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for being a good, good Father. We thank you for being faithful to your promises. Please increase our faith. Give us faith. Increase our hope and our trust in your goodness, in your mercy, in your desire to bring us to yourself, in your desire to meet us where we're at here this morning, to comfort us, to affirm us, to heal us, to inspire us. Mother Mary, we invite you to be here in our midst as well. We entrust ourselves to your Immaculate Heart, and we crown you the Queen of our morning as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning I want to read from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. And I imagine many of you have heard heard this line from 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's going to be our theme, if you will, this morning, living by faith. In the Son of God, who gave himself for me. For Paul, this was such a conviction that he had. It was such a profound belief that really transformed his life. When he met Jesus, the risen Lord, on the road to Damascus. And had that great conversion. But let's read a little bit what leads up to that, verse 20. Because Paul actually has to rebuke Peter, the first pope. Paul has to call Peter to task. So let's listen to this. Paul tells the story. So this is Galatians 2, 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. How about that? Because he stood condemned. 
For before certain men came from James, James would have been a Jew, you know, before he became an apostle. He, Peter, ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, they being the Jews, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. You know, fearing their opinion. What are they going to think of me? What are these faithful Jews, now Christians, going to think of me, a Jew, if I'm eating with the Gentiles? Mm. And with him, the rest of the Jews acted insincerely, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their insincerity. Interesting how Paul refers to this action as insincere. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves, who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet who know that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we ourselves were found to be sinners, is Christ then an agent of sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again those things which I tore down, then I prove myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I hope you're getting the point here. Paul is taking Peter to task because he who was a Jew and who was a faithful Jew and who followed all the rules, but who then became a follower of Christ and the first pope and who believed in Jesus as the Savior of the world was now afraid, in a sense, to leave all of those Laws, all of those rules behind completely. That's why Paul says, if I start to build up again those things which I tore down, then I prove myself a transgressor. So I think oftentimes we ourselves realize, okay, there are things that I need to deconstruct in my life, things that I have built up as important things that I have placed value in, things that I have identified with, that I have come to know as unimportant, as not from God. And so I start to let go of those things. I start to tear them down. I start to deconstruct that which I built up, that which I put so much faith in, so much value in, and yet I struggle to let go of it completely 
And I'm tempted to go back to those things and to put my, my value, my identity in those things or in my own ability to do certain things. My own ability to think and to reason and to organize or whatever it might be. So Paul is saying, no, Peter, don't go back. Don't go back. And I think the Spirit says to us today, don't go back. You know, and ask God for help. I mean, God, change my heart because I can't change my own heart. I'm starting to pray that now every day. Lord, change my heart. Because we can't change it by ourselves. If it were that easy, then, you know, we really wouldn't need God's help, right? If we could just flip a switch, if we could just make a decision not to do this or to do that, well, then, you know, we would all do that, right? But it's not so easy, is it? It's not that easy when we try to do it by ourselves. It's impossible. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So we ask God to change our hearts, to renew our minds. And that was something Peter himself struggled with, as we can see. And Paul, who was so zealous, he was such a devout Jew, I'm sure he had to struggle with it too. But he saw clearly how Peter and his rule following was leading others astray. And so we don't want to be led astray. We don't want to be fooled. We don't want to be lied to by the devil himself. That we have to do certain things on our own in order to be right with God. You know, to be justified, in a sense, is to be made right with God. But what do we believe? We believe that God himself sent his son to make us right with him. And we believe in that. And through that faith, we receive grace. God's power and presence. In the very last verse here, Paul even says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died to no purpose. So he's not throwing out grace, on the contrary. He's saying we receive grace through faith, and it's through that dynamic that we are saved, that we are justified, that we are made right with God, that we are redeemed, that we are healed, that we are forgiven. That we are sanctified. That we are even glorified by God. By God. I was thinking that the devil, when he came to attack the human race, in some ways, he was trying to desecrate human beings. He was trying to desecrate Adam and Eve. What does it mean to desecrate? 
means to ruin, to make unholy. It's the opposite of sanctify, to desecrate something or someone. It's to take away their holiness, their dignity, their value. The devil was all about that. But God, on the other hand, is all about making us whole again. He's all about healing us and forgiving us, removing our sins, removing our guilt and our shame and our fear of death, our fear of condemnation. He's all about building you up in himself, in the victor par excellence. And he wants us to share in that. And we share in it through faith. This past Sunday, we reflected on the mustard seed and the importance of faith. We can never have too much faith. So it's good to ask for more faith. But not just faith in God's existence. Faith in his goodness. Faith in his desire to love you. He wants you to be loved by himself. He wants you to be saved by himself. And that can give us a lot of confidence when we believe that in our heart of hearts, when we experience that. And God wants us to experience that here today and every day. That as Paul says, he is for us. God is for you. He's not against you. It's not like you're constantly on trial before him. That's not the kind of relationship he wants with you, where you feel like you're constantly on trial. He wants to be for you a good, good father. He wants to provide for you. He wants to lead you and guide you along the way that leads to life. And as he said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. I want to give you this life. I want to give you myself. I mean, look at the Eucharist here. Look at the Blessed Sacrament. Here he is. Here is your God. What is he saying without saying anything at all? He's saying, I want to be with you. I want to be with you right now, right here. I instituted the sacrament so that I could prolong my presence all throughout time just to be with you. And When you are here in my presence, I want to bless you. I want to fill you with my life, with my light, with my love, with my peace. I'm giving this to you. Receive it. We come before the Lord here as empty vessels. Waiting to be filled. 
Don't feel like you have to offer something to the Lord. Don't feel like what you have to bring here this morning is worthless. On the contrary, your humility, your poverty in spirit is exactly what he's looking for. Because really, what do we have that we haven't received, as Paul says? What do we have to offer that we haven't received from God himself? There's really only one thing, and that's our sins. So give him your sins, give him your wounds, give him your hurts. He wants to take all of those things. Give him your struggles. Give him your battles. Let him fight for you. He wants to fight for you. He wants to fight with you. But he wants to give you victory in time and in eternity. 